Welcome. You are listening to Bible Big Words, a ministry designed to concisely define important or complicated Bible words to strengthen you in the knowledge of God's truth. In this episode, we will define the word incarnation, a word that is actually not scripted in the Bible but a word used to describe one of the most, if not the most, significant, mysterious, and radical events recorded in the Bible and of all human history, the conception and birth of God as a human. Well, you may be wondering why we are defining a word that does not actually exist in the Bible, and that's a good question. The word incarnation does not exist in the Bible. The truth of it and what it describes does. And so you may wonder, where does this word come from, incarnation? Well, it comes from the Latin words in and carno, carno meaning flesh, in flesh, or to become flesh, or to be made flesh, describing the event of the conception and birth of God the Son in human flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who as Scripture declares, was 100% God and 100% man. Two natures in one person. 100% God, Jesus Christ, and 100% man together what some will describe as a hypostatic union, a technical theological term, a personal union of two natures, divine and human, in one entity, namely the person of Jesus Christ. Occurring 2,020 years ago, God the Son, eternal, entered into humanity as a Jewish baby boy named Jesus. And while this is certainly mysterious and rather mind-boggling, it is significant to the gospel truth. Unfortunately, however, many people reject the idea that Jesus Christ is God, suggesting that he's a really good person, which of course he was, and a great teacher, which of course he was, or simply a prophet, which he was a prophet too, but not only. Or some would say he's an angel. He was not God. He was an angel who became a person. Well, he's not an angel. As the writer of Hebrews will clearly say in chapter 1, verse 4, that Christ is superior to angels. First Peter three twenty two: angels are in subjection to Christ. He has authority over angels. Angels worship him. Angels do not worship anything less than God. Angels only worship God. Angels worship Christ, God the Son. Yes, for sure, when Jesus as a man is walking in his limited human flesh to a degree, he was in need. He felt pain. He was tired. He was hungry. He had emotional pressure upon him, and he was attended to by angels in certain instances. That doesn't mean these angels are superior to him. He was made lower than angels. Psalm 8, 
when he was in his human form. But as God the Son, he is superior not only to angels, but to all things. Please do not believe, my friend, any suggestion, any heresy, any wicked or false philosophy, or any intentional deception of Satan suggesting that God the Son, as Christ Jesus, was not God in human flesh. Absolutely, Jesus Christ, the Savior, who was born 2,020 years ago, was 100% God, still is, and 100% man now in glory. This is foundational to the gospel, and the Bible emphasizes this clearly. A few passages that prove the divinity of Christ Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, namely his Father. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word, the wisdom of God, the Son of God, a spiritual being prior to his birth, became flesh at conception and birth and lived among us. The Word became flesh. This is where the Latin word incarnation is derived for this purpose. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians. In Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In a human body is the divine nature. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, and verse 6 and 7, describing the Son as being in nature God, equal to God, being God, But he emptied himself of his heavenly divine privileges and became a human being and took on a human nature. When Jesus Christ was born, even before that conceived, his divine nature was not lost or set aside. He is still God, 100% God the Son and divine, and in his nature equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He took on human flesh. He became human nature, two natures in one man. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one, John 14, 9. In fact, God the Son is credited as creator of all things. A lot of times when people think of Jesus or God the Son, they think that he began at his birth or conception. No, God the Son is eternal. He's before all things, Paul writes in Colossians. Jesus says to some Jews, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the personal name of God, Yahweh. He was declaring that he pre-existed Abraham who lived 2,000 years before Jesus as a man, and he's God, I am. But he's credited as being the creator of the universe, not Jesus the man, but God the Son prior to his incarnation. Again, John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is before God 
the Son in Christ existed in human form. Colossians 1, 15, uh, 15 through 17, He, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the supreme one over all creation, for by him all things were created. All things were created by him and for him, and in him, this God the Son, all things are held together. The universe is held together by the power of God the Son. If God the Son began at birth, how could he be the creator of of the universe, as the Bible declares. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 and 10 say the same thing. The Son is the creator of the universe, upholding the universe by the power of his word. He's eternal with God the Father. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In fact, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he prays to his father in John 17 in that remarkable chapter, intimate section of scripture where God the Son is praying to God the Father in front of his disciples. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. In this prayer, Jesus Christ is stating clearly in prayer that he pre-existed his human nature life on earth as God the Son divine spiritually with his Father. And it is, it is this glory that he departed from, Philippians 2, verses 6, 7, and 8, to become human nature, not that he departed from his divine nature to become human, just the glory and the privileges with his Father in heaven and of course, he wants to go back, which he will go back in a few weeks after his resurrection, 40 days on earth and ascension into heaven. And his name proves that he is God. This was a promise in Isaiah 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. This is about 700 years prior to the birth of Christ and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As you may know, Emmanuel in Hebrew literally means God with us. Im in Hebrew means with. Imanu means with us. El is Hebrew for God. Imanu El, with us God, God with us. He is God with us. He is literally God, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, but God the Son with us. And he'll be called mighty God. Isaiah 9, 6, here's his, another name, mighty God. The word became flesh. God became a human being. So two questions quickly is how did the incarnation of God occur? How did this actually happen and why did it actually happen? How did it happen? Well, it did not happen through sexual intercourse as some heresy state, certainly not Joseph and Mary. She was a virgin. She had never had sexual relationship. Joseph and Mary did not have sexual intercourse as husband and wife until after the birth of Jesus. That's clear in Matthew, but they did have sexual intercourse later. And in, in one of the most wicked suggestions of all by some religious entity claiming to be Christian. They're not Christian. They're a cult. They say 
that God had sex with Mary and she produced Jesus. This is not true. It is not in any way sexually related. God's DNA or chromosome was not paired with hers. This is a supernatural event of God who can do all things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And even Mary was told this when she was informed that she would be carrying the Messiah already promised in Isaiah 9. The angel Gabriel appears to her in Luke chapter 1, and starting in verse 31, the angel says, Here's what will happen, Mary. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and we be called the Son of the Most High, the Most High being God. He is God the Son. He's the Son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, not only the house of Israel, but all of humanity and those who belong to him. And of his kingdom there will be no end, an eternal kingdom. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Very mysteriously, we have limited insight into this, but what happened seemingly in detail is God the Son, a spiritual entity, divine and eternal, whatever format, composition, color, size he was in at this time, departed his glory of heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, now engaged in this process, forming the human side of Jesus, God the Son entered and united with this early conceived baby boy and God became human. The Holy Spirit formed the biological DNA in her womb, and God the Son, eternal, not human, not human previously, will now unite with human flesh, two natures in one child, a child at this state now who is dependent upon the nutritional provision and the oxygen of his earthly mother as he develops as a person in her womb. Magnificent, mysterious, mind-boggling, radical, and the most crucial act in all of history to the successful accomplishment of God's plan if you add to it what was required of him in his human flesh. The, The question that is Perhaps more significant is why did the incarnation of God occur? Well, quickly, it had to occur because it was promised. God promised through the prophets this would occur, that a child will be born to a virgin uh, who would be a mighty child, who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This was promised. Even God himself said through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 34, verse 11, that since the leaders of Israel were failing in their tasks, that God himself will go and shepherd his own people. The Lord God says, I myself will search for my sheep 
and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. And as Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I'm here to find my sheep. They will listen to my voice, basically saying that he, Christ Jesus, God the Son, is the fulfilled promise of the Lord God through the prophet Isaiah, saying that in person, God will shepherd his own people. And the incarnation of of God the Son was commanded by the Father, as Jesus says in John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, even though he agreed to it in the eternal covenant promise with the Father, but it wasn't his will that engineered it. It was his Father's will. I have come to do the will of him who sent me, naming my Father. But most importantly, the incarnation of God occurred because it was required. For what? For salvation to be accomplished for God's people. There is no other way for a human being to be forgiven of their sins, made righteous with God, reconciled to God, to receive eternal life. We are all deserving of paying the penalty for our sins ourselves. So God will intervene by stepping into humanity and becoming the perfect sacrifice. Christ is the perfect human ever. He was conceived in perfection and he was born in perfection and he lived righteously. Adam was righteous and pure, but not perfect because he sinned within about a week or two of his existence. Jesus did not do this. God is perfect. He was vulnerable to sin and experienced opportunity to sin, but he never sinned. He lived a perfect life. It requires salvation, according to God, requires a perfect sacrifice and only God himself is qualified to be that perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's demands for what will yield forgiveness to his people. To satisfy the requirements of salvation, a perfect sacrifice must be made, a substitute for the sinful people. No one is qualified. God will enter into humanity and be the perfect person. But God himself is only qualified to satisfy the justice demands of salvation. And God in Christ will take the penalty for the sins of his own people. He was sinless, Isaiah 9, excuse me, 53 verse 9. Christ Jesus suffered for sins one time, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the perfect man in a perfect birth, living a perfect life, God in human flesh, two natures in one, the incarnation of God to accomplish salvation, eternal life, open the kingdom of God for sinners like me and hopefully you to satisfy the demands of holiness by injustice, taking the penalty for our sins. Praise the Lord for the incarnation of Christ Jesus, the most significant act in all of history. If you know Christ Jesus and he literally is your savior and you have eternal life, praise the Lord for what he did 2,020 years ago. If you do not have salvation with God, 
repent of your sins, and come to faith in this one who is the only way to salvation. God became a person to accomplish salvation. Nothing less can do it. You can't do it. Your works can't do it. He did it all. Come to him in faith. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. Spread the word.